a trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome. Pull up a chair if you'd like to engage in some wrong think. We've got a great show ahead of us, including my friend Eric Peters from Eric Peters Autos joining us. Eric, how are you? Uh, great. And as always, thanks for having me on the show. Love to have you on here. You're kind of my reality check for the week. I, I like to take a look at current events and say, Eric, what do you think about this? And uh, I just got to tell you, more often than not, your your take is like, ah, oh, that sounds reasonable. So, thanks. well, you help me. Uh, you help me uh, convince my, myself that that I'm not insane because apparently there's at least one other person in the world who sees things the way that I do. No, I I completely understand, and I I feel the same way. And I I got to start out. I got to ask you. Have you had a chance to see any of the uh, released footage for the J6 tapes from uh, January 6th? I guess Tucker Carlson is just killing oh, it. You mean the uh, the dangerous rampaging uh, shaman? Oh, that was, being, that was being given a guided building. tour? Yes. <laughs> right. But, you know, yeah, the take-home point that I, that I take home from this, and it's so much of a piece with everything else, it's just the dishonesty, the maliciousness, uh, of the way things are suppressed, truths are suppressed by the the very institutions that are supposed to be the ones that uh, that, that provide us with the straight dope, the truth, and let's act accordingly. Uh, all of this was suppressed, and uh, it was suppressed deliberately so as to create this narrative of this violent insurrection, as they style it, even though there was no violence to speak of and nobody was armed, or rather the violence that happened was visited upon uh, people like the woman who was shot to death uh, by by one of the armed government workers there. Uh, it's just it's it's as the old British song goes, the world turned upside down. You can just safely assume that whatever they tell you is a lie, uh, and uh, that you know the reverse is equally true. That's the kind of lunacy world that we live in now. Well, and and from from what I am seeing and what I'm reading, and granted, I'm just getting you know bits and pieces here. This. This isn't just a matter of, well, politicians lie. That's what you expect. These are the kind of lies that uh, these politicians should be facing criminal charges for, for what they have done well, yeah. and what they're continuing to uphold in the name of, well, these insurrectionists. They weren't insurrectionists, not by a long stretch. Yeah. Well, and consider this corollary fact that even now as we're talking, there are how many people? I think at least a dozen, if not more people, who are still in the pokey wearing the orange jumpsuit. Uh, over the whole January 6th thing. And not a single person has been brought before a court uh, for what's been uh, done to this country with regard to the vaccines and the way uh, people's lives were torn apart on the basis of deliberate malicious lies, all the damage that's been done uh, over that. So again, it's just is a, it's a, it's a striking contrast, and it reveals the motives of these people, which are not good, that these people are malicious, and they are uh, intentionally doing this harm. Yep. And and as, as you mentioned earlier, there, there are people who have been held, some of them in solitary confinement conditions, you know, for, for months and, and in this case, even a couple of years for some of them while they've yep. been, been awaiting trial. If look, if this if this video evidence is isn't enough to to get them out, it should at least be enough to get some of the, the people pushing this January 6th insurrection conspiracy and and lie. Uh, maybe some of the chief instigators and the, the people who've supported that lie, they deserve to be sitting in jail. 
I would hope so, but all of that is predicated on, unfortunately, the premise that we still have an operational justice system as opposed to a politicized one, uh, one in which facts matter as opposed to politics. And we absolutely do not have that. And if we're relying on somebody like Merrick Garland for justice, right. uh, I've got a bridge to sell you in Brooklyn. Well, and how often do we hear people like Merrick Garland? I cannot comment on that because it is an ongoing investigation. Mm-hmm. They hide behind it like it's a shield, that uh, it's Captain America's shield. They, nothing can touch them as long as they say there's an ongoing investigation. I just simply cannot comment. It's got to stop somewhere. Sure, and, these very, and these very same people spent how many years going after Trump? And I preface this by saying I'm not defending Trump, but I'm pointing out that every assertion made about Orange Man was uh, pursued with the zeal of Inspector Javert, right? You know, right. Uh, from Les Miserables. You know, it, no matter how tenuous, no matter how uh, how bereft of any factual support, and even when the facts came out, they still won't let it go because it's political. That's what we live in now. We live in a country in which the institutions and the apparatus of justice have become politicized. It's, it, you know, and Trump has talked about this. is absolutely correct. We no longer have the thing that defines fundamentally a, a a fair system in which you can get us expect to get a fair shake from you know from the, the, the apparatus that enforces laws and that adjudicates disputes it's now all about what your political persuasion is and if you're on the right side you're okay if you're on the wrong side they're going to crucify you well i know in the next segment we're going to talk a little bit about the importance of consent of the governed but if there was anything that would ever cause people to question should i lend my consent must i lend my consent to this i would think it's this kind of behavior Mm-hmm. Well, talk- and it's it's really serving to, to delegitimize everything. This is corrosive. This is carbolic acid. As people become aware that facts don't matter, that justice is a question of your politics, and you can't get a fair shake. So why should we obey? You know, and that'll tie us into the discussion about consent. Okay, let's talk for a moment about. Uh, you just published an article this morning about uh, um, a, a Nissan commercial that, that you saw. Give me your thoughts on that. Well, it was really interesting. Uh, we were just watching TV, and this ad came on touting Nissan's new generation of electric vehicles. And at the bottom of the screen, in kind of fade-out text, just really, you could barely see it, it said, tailpipe emissions free. And that just immediately clicked in my head. I thought, wait a minute. I thought these were zero emissions vehicles. We've heard that electric cars are zero emissions vehicles for all these years. And now, all of a sudden, they're shiftily shifting the definition. And it's of a piece with the way... They changed the definition of a vaccine from something that prevented you from getting a contagious illness that could be spread to others into something that helps to reduce the symptoms. Really oily stuff. Yep. So they're conceding that these electric vehicles are not zero emissions vehicles. They simply emit their emissions somewhere else. Well, and as you have pointed out many times, you know, there, there's a trade-off. Oh, look at this clean vehicle. But what does it take to uh, to power that vehicle? First of all, to get all the materials to build the batteries, but then to generate the electricity that, that are gonna that's going to be stored in those batteries. It's it's not like yeah, they just a, magically run on you know clean energy that comes from somewhere. Well, it's a twofold thing, and and one of those folds is actually a legitimate environmental issue in that the materials that it takes to build an electric vehicle, specifically its battery. They are very environmentally toxic. Things like lithium, uh, things like cobalt that's literally scoured out of the earth, open pit mines by teenagers and younger kids with their bare hands. 
Uh, that stuff is environmentally disastrous, and the amount of it that is necessary to produce even one electric vehicle is staggering. And I get into some of those numbers in my article. Uh, and meanwhile, you know, they, they focus on this, this inert gas, carbon dioxide, that's 0.04% of the Earth's total uh, atmospheric composition, and try to characterize and frame that as a pollutant and as some kind of an environmental harm when it isn't. Uh, but they're completely unconcerned about the stuff that is absolutely devastating to the environment, like these lithium leach fields and these cobalt open pit mines. Yep, it's it's like it's a, it's just another big show that's being put on for us, and we're supposed to smile and nod. Yes, the king's clothes are 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 gorgeous, even though none of us can see they're they're, they're <laughs> simply the finest ever. There's also another aspect of this that I think is interesting, and I we'll see if this plays out this way. But I think that, the, that they're shifting the verbiage into tailpipe emissions-free because uh, as EVs become more and more prevalent out there, they're going to shift around and say, oh, wait, wait a minute, there, are, there actually are emissions that come out of you know, manufacturing and use of EVs, and we have to regulate those. Mm. So, you know, people who think that, oh, you know, this is going to be fine, we're just going to have to uh, swap the, the cars that have engines for cars that have motors and we'll be able to continue life as usual. No! As soon as they succeed in getting rid of gas-powered cars, they're going to start going after electric-powered cars. I, I make that prediction, and I stand on it. No, I, I agree, and I think that you nailed it from the very beginning. It's not about protecting the environment, and it never was. It's about gaining control over people's mobility. And, and of course, you're hearing more and more about these 15-minute cities springing yep. up or at least being proposed. Um, there's That's the fruition of, of where they're taking us. Yeah, you know, in, in that regard, I think that uh, Trump's comment the other day about freedom cities was rather interesting in that uh, where is the one place you find less rather than more freedom? The city. So true. No, I'm, I'm, I'm with you there. And, and, and the, maybe it's just because I'm getting older and more stubborn, but my mobility is everything to me. And, 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 and so, yeah, I got to have those open well, spaces. Sure. I mean, there's a reason why they put people in prison. It's so they can't move. That's the whole point. They just want us in open-air prisons, at least it, it exactly. appears. Exactly. Very, very confined ones. I, I mentioned the other day to somebody I was talking about the classic uh, BBC movie, The Prisoner. You remember that one? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That gave us a, uh, a, a predictive programming insight into what they have in mind for us. It won't be uh, the kind of prison you think about when you think about the federal penitentiary. It will be sort of this little community where, you know, you're, they're not actually sticking the bayonet in your back, but you can't leave. And everything you do is completely monitored and controlled. Okay, hold that thought. We're going to come back and continue this conversation with Eric Peters. I'll link to his website, ericpetersautos.com. You'll find it in my show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Welcome back to the show. Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com is my guest. Okay, Eric, you had a, a really remarkable essay recently about uh, did you consent to be governed? And I love this because that's the kind of question that will actually make people uncomfortable because it really requ requires them to think about what what exactly did they agree to in terms of the, the systems of governance all around us? Walk me through what, what prompted you to write this one. Well, I got to thinking about it from a number of points of view. One is that we consent to friends with people. We consent to be married to people. Um, we consent to legal contracts. And if we don't consent to legal contracts, they're not binding. Nobody can 
approach you on the street and say, hey, you owe me money. I have this piece of paper on my in my hand here that says you owe me money. But if you didn't sign that piece of paper, and certainly if you didn't sign it uh, freely, then there is no contract. Well, how is it that we are bound to this contract with government? You hear about it all the time. Uh, often in, in, in the way it's put is implied consent, which is a really oily term. They say you've given your implied consent by getting a driver's license, for example, to being stopped at random uh, just because you're out driving and having to be interrogated, have your vehicle looked over, perhaps even to get out of your car and perform some kind of gym- gymnastics to establish to the satisfaction of the cop that you're not a drunk driver, even though he has no probable cause to suspect that you are a drunk driver. You've given your implied consent that they tell you. And I think it's just a really obnoxious doctrine. No, I'm, I'm with you. And, and I wish more people had the wherewithal to at least question, now, did I really consent to this? Or, you know, the, the social contract that people like to figuratively wave in our faces, well, we have a social contract and that's why you have to give up some of your freedoms. I don't know much about contract law, but I know that if, if you have been forced or coerced into a contract, that's not a valid contract. Yeah, and this is why I like society more so than government. Government has laws. Society has rules. And in society, people interact with one another consensually and voluntarily. And if, you know, if you're not happy with the rules, well, that's fine. Just you don't participate in whatever that is. Just like if you go over to somebody's house, they have house rules. Let's say they, they don't allow smoking in their house and you're a smoker. Well, you accept that. You don't smoke in their house. And if you, know, you don't like it, well, you don't have to come over to their house. There, there's no legal requirement necessary. I, I find that to be a far uh, more preferable, a far more humane way for human beings to interact with one another than this business of having laws, which we didn't consent to in the first place. Right. You know, and it wasn't just a couple of weeks ago we celebrated uh, Abraham Lincoln's birthday. And uh, I I find it very curious whenever anybody expresses an aversion to uh, what I've heard termed as Lincoln's War of Involuntary Union, which I I think is the most accurate description of what people mistakenly call the Civil War. Holy cow. People get bent out of shape when someone suggests national divorce like Marjorie Taylor Greene did. Yeah. They, uh, immediately, you know, you get the, the Lincolnites among us that are like, well, we have to kill you if you try to leave us. It's, it's well, that yeah, idea. there's a kind of a there's, a, there's an, a, a lunacy there and an effrontery there. You know, Lincoln, his famous Gettysburg Address, where he talked about uh, government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from this earth. Well, wait a minute. All the South wanted was a government of the people by the people, just not Lincoln's people. Right. And, you know, so, so he sent his troops in there to murder them uh, and, and, and to bend them to his will uh, at the sword. And that's somehow considered to be government of the people by the people. Yeah. And I think it was Lysander Spooner who pointed out forcing a person to live under a government to which he has not consented is essentially making him a slave. So, of course. That's, there's that. I mean, most people, I, I cannot imagine that there are, there's even one out of a hundred people who would say uh, that a marriage voluntarily entered into is something that you can never get out of for any reason ever at all. And a marriage is at least something that, generally speaking, unless it's an arranged marriage, you did consent to. You, you freely agreed, I want to marry this person, they want to marry me, we're going to be married. Now, oftentimes a marriage goes awry, and there are reasons why it's not repairable. And at that point, the best policy for the sake of both people is to allow them to separate. Well, here we have a situation where the parties, you and me and everybody else, we never consented to any of this. We were never even asked. We're just told we're party to this contract somehow. 
And not only are we a party to it, but if we dare to have the effrontery to say, well, you know, this really isn't working out very well for me. I'd rather just not be a part of it. They'll literally kill you if you attempt to get away and, 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 and just go your own way. Which, which brings us to the crux of the, the question at hand. By what right do men get to exercise compulsion over other people? I think Aberon Herbert exactly. explored that in, in some detail. But morally, you know, some people just think, well, might makes right. Enough people agree with me. We can force you to do something. Yep. But uh, there's there's got to be I, – I wish more people would, would take the time to think through the moral implications of, of what that means, of, of, you know, people asserting that desire to control others around them. Yeah, I think it's a, a good way to look at it is to think if there's something uh, that I'm pondering doing that would be wrong for me, as an individual to do it, would be immoral for me to do it. How is it that it becomes moral and acceptable if a number of people get together and do it under the color of law? They, they pass a law. Now, somehow, an action that would otherwise be considered uh, immoral and wrong, for example, taking money. You, know, you can't just walk up to somebody and say, give me money, and then if they don't, threaten to beat them over the head if they, if they don't hand it over. Well, how does that become a moral thing just because some people voted for it and say they owe you money, that you owe them money? Here, here. Well, I, you know, I made my mind up some time ago, and I don't remember who it was who pointed out that uh, sometimes you have to decide to secede on a personal level. And that yep. doesn't mean you're entirely turning your back on society, but there, there are ways that you can limit your interaction with the control freaks. And I think it, it behooves all of us to figure out what those areas are and exercise that discretion any chance we get. Yeah, not, not only that, but... While at the, well, on the one hand, you can secede from the people that you would rather not be involved with, make a point of being more involved with the people that you would like to be involved with, people of like mind who view the world in the same way and, and with the same values that you have, so as to create your own natural, organic, and most importantly, voluntary community. Yep. And there's that key word, voluntary you know, I, I, I was telling you off the air, I, I had the chance to uh, participate in a, a community theater production of Titanic the Musical. And um, that's a pretty big undertaking. I think it was like a 54-member cast. It was it was a huge, huge endeavor to do it and to do justice to this show. But people coming together voluntarily, as in none of us were paid for our time, and we put in a lot of time and effort, you know, to make it happen, um, it, it really produced some very satisfying results. And, and the cool thing about it was none of those results were predicated on, well, does everybody have the correct ideology? Is everybody, you know, chanting in unison? Sure. No. It was just, uh, are we here to help each other voluntarily to, to solve the problems and, you know, to, to lift the people around you? And that's, that really seems to be, you know, overlooked. Solving those problems at the lowest possible level, fostering that sense of voluntary community. I hope that's something that we, we catch on to before it's too late. Well, I hope so, too. You know, coercion, uh, I, let me back up and say that voluntarism diffuses all of the things that we have uh, that, we're, that we're dealing with right now, all of the conflict and tension and stress. Okay, you know, no harm, no foul. You do your thing. I'll do mine. It's when coercion is brought into the equation that you get anger and resentment. How would you have felt uh, if they had told you you had to perform in Titanic. Right. And not only that, <laughs> not only that, you had to contribute, and, and I'll put that in air fingers quotes, you had to contribute money toward the cost of making the production. Right. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy 
with uh, with what was the product of all that hard work. But the thing that made me happiest was the fact that people came together and did it by their own choice, which to me um, gave it a, a, a quality all of its own, something that you don't get when there's a figurative gun in your ribs. You will yeah. do this. Nobody likes a bully. I, it's, it, to me, it's one of these self-evident propositions. We all remember the bully when we were kids. Elementary school, junior high, high school, whatever. We all knew a bully and had to deal with a bully. Who likes the bully? Nobody. So, I mean, how is it that we somehow accept being bullied when it comes to our adult arrangements, being told that we have to do this, that we can't do that, and if we don't do this or we do do that, uh, the bully is going to come and punch us in the nose. Right, because, well, you consented when you stepped onto my playground. <laughs> no, <laughs> right. Not quite. Eric, thanks so, much quite. For, thanks so much for visiting with us this week. I look forward to catching up with you next Tuesday. Likewise. Thank you, Brian. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. You know, there are some topics I really would rather not bring up for discussion, but how can I say this? They're relevant, they matter. Okay, January 6th is one of them. You know, it's, and look, I'm not going to pretend like, you know, everybody who was there at the Capitol that day did absolutely nothing wrong. I think there were some people who misbehaved. I don't think the term insurrection is uh, is appropriate or, or uh, proportional to whatever wrong was done. At the same time, hasn't it been interesting how, uh, how the Department of Justice has sat on 14,000 hours or more of video and the January 6th committee only cherry-picked things that they thought would be helpful to the narrative that they wanted to create that essentially uh, sought to, to criminalize patriotic Americans. And I'm, ta- and I'm not talking about the ones who were actually, you know, fighting police and breaking things, but people who were just there, who had showed up in Washington, D.C., people who questioned, you know, whether or not there, w- there was uh, something off about the 2020 election. They've all been uh, they've all been smeared as you know potential domestic terrorists, and basically we've seen our government weaponized against you know they say the MAGA people, but guess what? If you tr- if you support limited government, if you support personal freedom, if you are a supporter of free markets, you're being lumped into all the uh, red hat wearing you know MAGA uh, supporters of of President Trump. So it's it's very dangerous where we are right now. And my goal isn't to further those divides. My goal is to at least to help people understand that we have been lied to on not just an unprecedented scale, but, but a criminal scale in the sense that people are being sent to prison for massive crimes that they really didn't commit. They may have been convicted, but uh, what they were charged with versus, you know, parading without a license, that's 10 years in jail. You know, it's it's ridiculous. Well, now that the previously hidden January 6th videos from the U.S. Capitol are finally being seen, Tucker Carlson released a bunch of them just recently, it's clear why those narrative managers are so panicked. In fact, I want to share with you some excerpts from uh, an article by Julie Kelly from American Greatness. She is one of the better resources on this. Julie has been on top of it from the beginning, and I think she knows the right questions to ask. And she says the secret surveillance video dismantles the January 6th narrative. 
In fact, clips that were aired during Tucker Carlson's show last night demonstrate how the January 6th Select Committee doctored surveillance video. The parts that it did cherry-pick were actually doctored. So here's how she explains it. She says, Fox News host Tucker Carlson aired the first set of previously unseen surveillance video captured by Capitol Police security cameras on January 6, 2021, that undermined several aspects of the reigning narrative about what happened that day. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy last month gave Carlson's team unfettered access to 41,000 hours of footage the government kept hidden from the American public and individuals charged in the Justice Department's unprecedented and ongoing investigation into the events of January 6th. Capitol Police and the Justice Department designated the recordings as, quote, highly sensitive material in March of 2021. The trove remains under tight protective orders, and defendants must agree to strict rules before gaining access to clips entered as evidence against them. Capitol Police turned over to the FBI roughly 14,000 hours of video covering the hours of noon to 8 p.m. on January 6th. But the full 24-hour reel has been in the hands of House Democrats for two years and this is reportedly the footage that Carlson's team was authorized to view. So Tucker Carlson exposed falsehoods that bolster key animating aspects of January 6th, including the movements of Jacob Chansley, the activity of still uncharged agitator Ray Epps, the death of Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick, alleged reconnaissance tours conducted by House Republicans the day before, the, ha- the escape of Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri, and the overall deceptiveness of the January 6th Select Committee. Taken as a whole, the video record does not support the claim that January 6th was an insurrection, Carlson explained. In fact, it demolishes that claim. And that's exactly why the Democratic Party and its allies in the media prevented you from seeing it. At least nine police officers escorted Jacob Chansley, that's the so-called QAnon shaman, the guy with the buffalo hat, throughout the building that afternoon. Some even opened doors so Chansley could access rooms inside the Capitol. Chansley was recorded inside the Senate chambers when he led a prayer and thanked law enforcement. Now, American Greatness first reported Chansley's peaceful interaction with Capitol Police officers back in May of 2021. Chansley spent more than 300 days in solitary confinement conditions under court-ordered pretrial detention before he finally accepted an offer to plead guilty to the nonviolent offense of obstruction of an official proceeding. In announcing his sentence in November 2021, U.S. Court District Judge Roy Lamberth described Chansley, a Navy veteran with no criminal record and a history of mental disorders, as the epitome of January 6th and insisted his conduct was horrific. Now keep in mind, Chansley was not charged with a violent crime, but he's currently serving a 41-month prison term. Julie Kelly says American Greatness has also covered the lies about what happened to Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick, first raising doubts about the account of his death as early as as February of 2021. The media, Justice Department, leading Democrats, and the January 6th Select Committee claim Sicknick died as a result of scuffles with protesters that afternoon. But Carlson played a never-before-seen video of Sicknick walking around the inside of the building after the alleged attack, where he appears to be healthy. A man from New Jersey, Julian Cotter, pleaded guilty to spraying Sicknick with pepper spray after spending 18 months in the D.C. Gulag. He was sentenced to six years in prison. Infamous provocateur Ray Epps, contrary to his sworn testimony, remained on restricted grounds for at least 30 minutes past the time he told the committee he had left the scene. 
We do know he lied to investigators, Carlson said. Epps accompanied the group of protesters who first breached the exterior boundary of the Capitol on the west side before 1 p.m. on January 6th. And the new surveillance video proves he stayed on what's considered a restricted area for nearly two hours. During one televised hearing, the January 6th Select Committee aired a very brief clip of Hawley leaving the Senate chambers. The video designed to show Hawley was fearful of the alleged insurrectionist after raising his fist in support of the crowd prior to the start of the joint session. Journalists and those in attendance at the July 22nd hearing laughed in response. That famous clip is a sham edited deceptively by the January 6th committee, Carlson said. The clip was propaganda, not evidence. Carlson explained the full recording shows numerous lawmakers being ushered out of the building by Capitol Police. By the way, for each of these things that she's citing, she is linking to Twitter links that will show you the actual video. So you don't have to take her word for it. You don't have to take my word for it. You can let your eyes tell you whether what you're seeing is, is real or not. And as American Greatness reported in May of 2022, accusations about reconnaissance tours by House Republicans on January 5th, 2021, are also false. The surveillance video shows this story is a lie. Additional videos showed protesters walking throughout the building, even picking up items on the floor. And while acknowledging a small percentage were hooligans... Carlson aired an unseen video of individuals respecting police and rope lines. But the overall majority of people weren't hooligans, is the point. They were peaceful and orderly and meek. They were not insurrectionists. They were sightseers. Now, Carlson will be presenting more footage on his show tonight, including an interview with a U.S. Capitol Police officer who was a part of the agency in charge of security on January 6th. Okay, now this, I, I just hope it's understood. This is not a matter of, yeah, see, we were right and you weren't. This goes way deeper between, or way deeper than just bragging rights over, okay, who got it right. Hundreds of people have been rounded up, arrested, held without bail in pretrial detention as if they were, res- they were insurrectionists. And the video record is showing clearly they weren't. And the January 6th Select Committee clearly exaggerated and blew out of proportion and constructed a narrative that fit what they, what they were trying to portray. But it did not square with reality. And the reality is they weaponized much of the U.S. government against roughly half the country, or at least the voting half that, that voted for Donald Trump. Now, look, I'm just a simple guy, and I, and I really don't like politics much at all. For, for obvious reasons. But that's a very dangerous place to go. When people in power are so desperate that they would stoop to that kind of deception and that kind of wholesale propaganda, but even worse, the weaponization of government and the agitation for depriving people of life, liberty, and property based on the fact that I want to stay in power and I don't want anyone who doubts me. That, that's the mark of a tyrant. Look at any of the names that are synonymous with, with the greatest acts of tyranny in history. What are they known for? What was it that made them tyrants? Well, most of them killed the people who would not agree with them. They wanted to get rid of them. They saw them as a threat. Those they couldn't kill, they imprisoned or otherwise exiled. Telling ourselves it could never happen here, I don't think that's a very good idea because looks like 
it is happening or could happen. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Again, a quick shout out to my sponsors, MonticelloCollege.org, LifesavingFood.com, Borelli.com, and TMCP Nation, the Modern Conservative Podcast. It's my friend John Harvey. Got a link to his wonderful website. I encourage you to check out some of the swag, some of the clothing and stuff that he offers on his website. If uh, if you if you are you know proud about uh, your freedom and not afraid to to show it, you really should check it out. I think you'll find something you really like, and he'll make it worth your while if you put in the code B Hyde when you go to checkout. That's B H Y D E. A couple things I want to touch on here. In uh, the closing segment here, uh, you know, we only have a finite amount of energy and attention that we can draw upon each day. But I wanted to share with you a commentary from uh, Howard, from James Howard Kunstler. I suppose this one caught my eye because he, he's using a Titanic metaphor here that uh, that's it's very fresh in my mind. <laughs> so I thought he I thought he uh, he paints a very clear picture of what is going on that uh, may be hard to recognize because there were so many distractions being waved in front of our faces. And it starts with a quote from Michael Rechtenwald. If, however, as Pareto suggested, a governing elite is inevitable, then we are certainly under the wrong elites. Whether a circulation of elites can be completed in time to save the world economic system from ruin and the majority from destitution and veritable slavery is a question of no little urgency. Now, James Howard Kunstler says, imagine that on an April evening in 1912, the captain of the RMS Titanic had announced a grand ball at which the male passengers were asked to wear their wives' clothing and vice versa. That was approximately the condition of Western civilization verging on springtime in 2023, preoccupied with silliness while the iceberg waits. But who would have thought that the sinking of civilization would occur with such fantastic comic ornamentation? He says, men in more ways than mere costuming, pretending to be women, incompetence honored, faded, even uh, worshipped, intellect reduced to anti-thinking, anything of value thrown overboard in some weird postmodern potlatch ceremony of twisted moral righteousness. But the hour is late. The party is near its end. The iceberg is struck. The rest of the story will be you holding on to a few valuables, including your life, while the lifeboats get lowered. From here forward, things get pretty interesting. And Kunstler says, from here on, nobody is really in charge. The vacuum of leadership we've been living in becomes impossible to ignore, and nature, it's rumored, hates a vacuum. For the moment, circumstances are in charge, not personalities. In fact, he says, look no further than the fiasco in Ukraine, engineered by geniuses of the U.S. Foreign Service in some daft exercise to show the world who's who and what for. And remind me, what was the basic idea there? to hamstring and hogtie Russia so badly that her people would overthrow the only rational head of state in Christendom, a figure who makes the presidents, chancellors, and prime ministers of Western Civ look like a troop of gibbering mandrels with painted faces and blue butts. They A-clowns of geopolitics. Something tells me that this gang will not make it to the lifeboats. They'll be left on deck gripping bottles of single malt scotch whiskey singing Don't Cry For Me, Argentina, as the band plays while the whole wicked colossus slides beneath the moonlight-tinted green waves. All of which is to say, these perilous and confounding times we live in are coming to a climax. 
Events are afoot now. Choices must be made. Truths will emerge, and no one will be untouched. So he says, be careful who your friends are. We're waiting in financial markets, banks, and monies to... We're waiting for financial markets, banks, and monies to blow as an engine will when submerged in water. It can't not happen, though every known device has been deployed to keep up appearances. The credibility of finance was thrown overboard a long time ago. Capital was sloshing around in the bilges as the ship heaved and pitched in the angry waters, and it had to go somewhere. The next turn will be when you go looking for where it went, and you discover to your nauseated chagrin that the capital is just gone. Through some ledger domain of physics, it disappeared, turned into a kind of antimatter, fell through a black hole, possibly ripped by that iceberg, or up the smokestacks like it was never there at all. When that happens, our collective attention finally gets galvanized as by no shock before. When capital is truly gone, transmogrified into a whole lot of nothing, the time for standing, making faces, and whining is over. By the way, he says this is the way the world ends for the vacuum known as Joe Biden and the party of chaos he is propped up to represent. Chaos, we will be astounded to learn, is not your friend. Is not the solution to anything, at least at least of all, a polity floundering in, floundering in lifeboats over cold, dark, deep water a thousand leagues from dry land. What's more, there are no ships coming to the rescue. Guess why they put oars in the boats? Get set to pole, me hearties. So he says, yes, we're at sea now without a compass. Yet the stars sparkle dazzlingly, dazzlingly above, and some aboard can actually read what they say and what they point toward. If safety and sanity will not find us, maybe we can pull together wherever they wait, toward wherever they wait, rather. He says, my gosh, it's going to be a long haul. But have a little faith. Remember what that is? It's the conviction that all of us stand together in some meaningful relation to existence. Even if you're too mentally drained to believe it, act as if it is so. Or in postmodern parlance, fake it till you make it. <laughs> That's pretty good advice. Didn't think it would come to this when you signed on to the voyage? Well, I guess so. Kunstler says you were comfortably ensconced one winter night in the mini McMansion on the overstuffed sofa, entertained by some Netflix insanity or inanity, rather, scarfing down the microwaved cheese morsels when the wife says, Hey, let's book a cruise. Seemed like a good idea at the time, which is what everything in the annals of history is and was. And now look where you are. Kind of a powerful uh, little analogy he's drawing here, but uh, I don't disagree with him. Now, I want to end, I, I want to actually bring it to a little more hopeful note, though. I think we are up against some very formidable circumstances. And I, I, I'm not saying this to try to, to promote gloom and doom, but I think that, that truly hard times are at our doorstep as in like Great Depression, World War II kind of hard times, the kind of things that our grandparents lived through. And I don't think that that's, that's necessarily cause for, you know, crying and moaning, sackcloth and ashes and so forth. I do believe it is an opportunity for us to, to do, though, what Mr. Kunstler is talking about here. When he talks about, you know, know who your friends are. Pay close attention. Be careful who your friends are. This is, this is my conviction. People who are willing to set aside whatever minor differences, you know, it's the whole idea of, uh, of uh, um, acceptance without conformity. If you can find people who, who agree with you on the basic things that make life worth living. Okay, now, granted, I'm coming down on things like 
personal freedom, freedom of conscience, um, property rights, you know, respect for your private property, uh, free market principles, voluntary exchange, that kind of thing. If you can find people who are of a like mind, regardless of the other little differences, pulling together and working together again voluntarily will solve so many problems, no matter how difficult things get. I mean, if, you, if you've studied the history of this nation, America, you, you understand that settling it was not just a slam dunk. It wasn't just, oh, yeah, well, you know, they just rolled westward and everything just unfolded for them and it was just basically just dropped out of the sky into their laps. It did not. People sacrificed deeply. People buried children along the trail as they made their way westward. Why would they go? Why would they take that chance? Because there was opportunity. And I believe that through that hardship, they became the kind of people who, who built all those things that we're enjoying today, all the things that make our lives comfortable and prosperous in spite of all those forces that are trying to take those things from us. Somebody had to be willing to pay the price and go through the hard work. And I'm not trying to be fatalistic when I say this, but it's, it's our turn. We're going to have to do some of the heavy lifting. Our kids are going to do a lot of the heavy lifting. But instead of trying to solve problems at the highest possible level, we can just get Trump back into office. I'm like, look, no disrespect to those who, who want to see him back in charge, but you're going to solve your problems much closer to where you're actually standing than if you try to get someone in power in a high position and, and hope that, uh, you know, the solutions trickle down to where you are. Lift where you stand is very sound advice. And I would advise, if you haven't started building the relationships with the people around you, even people you don't necessarily line up with ideologically. This is a good time to do it because those are the people you will be able to count on. If you wait until, you know, the crisis is full-blown, it's you're going to be playing catch-up and it's not going to be very easy. I just have an immense amount of faith in, in the power of community to accomplish great things even in very, very difficult circumstances. In fact, I'm going to go so far as to say I believe that there are people like you who have been placed exactly where you are for this time because you bring something to the table that nobody else can. And my challenge to you is step up and meet that destiny. You are needed. This is The Brian Hyde Show.